Abba, Father, I love you and I thank you for your love and grace. I ask you to open up our hearts to understand truth, to love you with all that we are, and to pursue holiness without which we will not see you. Thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the still face experiment. Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In the still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. Yeah. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. Thank you so much, David and, and Stephen, for running that. So, okay, so let's look at um, uh, going deep here with scripture. We're going to cover a lot of scripture, and so we're going to we're going to work hard. the The value of that that simple little two minute video is it's fascinating that the twelve month old mommy's face was what that far away, and yet they began to be immediately distressed. The little girl began to be profoundly distressed because mother was not responding, okay? Now, I wanna make a comment that is not a part of the teaching, but I think has value. When you guys are at the dinner table, please put these away and give your family, your children, your spouse, eye contact and engage them 
with smiles. It is so important to do that, all right? So uh, my, my, the, the key idea here is that our brains, adult brains and, and newborns, have systems, complex systems, to read faces, right? And some of you ladies have superpowers on reading faces. A woman can walk into the room and there's 30 women in the room and she will scan that room and she will know exactly what's going on of all 30 women in just about a second and a half. They got that kind of superpower. Us guys are like, huh? What? You had a rough day? I don't know. You know, and, and it's like it's a little harder for us to read faces sometimes. But moms, wow, they had that ability. So we're going to tuck that one away. Let's dig into this. So um, this is from a study that's a few years old about the kinds of things you say at home. All right. And how a parent talks to the child and the attitude that a parent uses to talk to the child. Can you imagine a parent talking about life in general, just life in general? Okay, let's, let's just say the blue sky, right? <coughs> well, you hate to tell me you're cold and dumb, and I just, blue sky is stupid. It's blah, blah, blah. You know, what if, what if, I know, isn't that silly? I'm, I don't talk that way, really. Um, that's so negative. That's negative, right? Look at this, this line in yellow. Children from families with professional backgrounds experienced a ratio of six encouraging engagements for every one negative or discouraging engagement with their kids. Families with working class, uh, from a working class dynamic, it was two positives to one negative. And families on welfare, an average of two negatives to one encouragement. Okay, soak that up. So that means a kid, a little kid, that's coming out of a very low socioeconomic background and potentially even a welfare uh, situation, the parents or the caregivers are probably going to talk more negatively than positively about life. Does it make sense? Plus, toward the kid. You little brat, if you weren't so hungry, you wouldn't have to buy food that we can't afford. Can you imagine saying that to a kid? Like the fact that food costs something and it's the kid's fault? Yeah. Well, if, you know, if a child is raised that way, a child would abs- will absorb that. It becomes their sense of self. And they take that right on into adulthood. So these are some characteristics about children. Okay. And good stuff. I want to get you ready to receive the teaching of God's word. Children are dependent on adult caregivers. It is fascinating. A wildebeest can hit the African savanna, and in a matter of minutes, they can run with a herd. Right? It's amazing. But humans, the mammalian species known as a human, how long does it take for you? You would trust your child. You'd push them out into the wild to survive. Fly away, Billy, go. Survive out there. How old would they be? 20? What, Michael? Yeah, never, never. No one's worthy of you. You can't ever marry. Nobody's worthy. Um, you get the idea. It takes years, years to just get them ready to do stuff. So, uh, and, and yet children can be so trusting. Rebecca, I still remember when I would set you on top of the refrigerator and I'd stand under you and I'd say, I'll catch you, you know, and you would... 
She'd take that big hit. And she'd go over the edge and I'd catch her and she'd giggle. And I said, and she'd go again. Do it again, Daddy. And we'd do that over and over again. But they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. You know, for example, one of the things my mother did to me is my mother said, Chris or Chrissy, if you eat sugar, you get worms. <laughs> All right, so it's imprinted in my brain that sugar gives you worms. Or uh, the time when uh, my mother was chiding me for having dirty ears, and so she snuck a potato while I'm in the bathtub. Tony, I'm just a little guy, probably three. She's got a potato behind her back, and she's going, oh, Chrissy, your ears, oh. Do you know that if you don't clean your ears, they grow potatoes? I'm like, no. And she sneaks it and drops it in the water and goes, see, fall out of your ear. So I believed that potatoes can grow in your ear and worms give you sugar. Thank you, mommy. That's why I'm so messed up, people. It's my mother. I'm going to blame everything on my mother. Um, Children are impressionable. They're impressionable. You saw that with the still face experiment. Boy, they are, right? Uh, They're natural empathizers. Um, If if one little kid falls down and starts crying, another one might come up and with their little hands start patting them. You know, they have a capacity for empathy. It's a beautiful thing. Um, Children derive worth from their parents' faces, words, in ways they meet their needs, all right? Um, Children thrive in loving and nurturing homes, families. They thrive in structure and routine. Um, I love storytelling. I I have a story I made up about Timotheus, who's a fighting dragon uh, with an amazing Irish accent, (laughs) just letting you know, And, and how he fights things and and a squirrel named Eugene, and a family named the Hossovers. I love telling stories, and did it with my girls and with the grandkids. And what's interesting is if I don't tell a story, they will come to me, and they'll say, Daddy, Papa, please tell us a story. Tell us a story. Tell us a story. You know, they love that routine. Uh, they thrive in healthy discipline. Yeah. Kids need discipline. Okay, children love story. Um, Here's some things that I'm highlighting because it's really important. Children are ignorant and therefore gullible. All right, their brains are loaded with spindle neurons. And a spindle neuron looks kind of spindly. And it's a neuron that functions to acquire experience and mastery. Well, you gotta, you know, I I can't hand you a guitar and say, put your finger here, 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 and you're gonna be a great guitar player, no. You have to practice for months and years to become permission, uh, or per, uh, proficient on the guitar. Spindle neurons do that. Little kids don't have a lot of experience, okay? A child's head is proportionately large in comparison to its body, and it tends to impede mobility. You know, what ha- when you take a little neonate and you sit them right up, what happens? Whoa, that head will go back, or, you know. That's, they got a big head for the size of their bodies, right? They need, um, uh, neurologically, the process of myelination is not complete until age three. Does anybody know what that is? That's really important that you get that. Myelination in the neurons in the brain at age three. Anybody? What's that, Serena? 
Uh, someone else? Yes? Stephen, who was it? I was saying like when they're growing, developing. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, so yes, yeah, Serena and, and Lisa, you're on it. It's, it's a sheath that covers the neuron, but what's it made of? Fat. Fat. In fact, you adults, we're about 60% fat, so we're a bunch of fatheads at Christchurch right now. It's very true, all right? Why, uh, when a neuron is coated in fat, does it slow down or speed up its efficiency? Speeds it up. Do you realize they're going to think more slowly than you are? And you, and you say, Billy, what do you want for so-and-so? And he's, he's trying to get his brain functioning and at the speed that you want him to as an adult. And it's hard for little kids, right? Uh, newborns need twice as much oxygen as adults. Children are low to the ground, right? They're always crawling around. And while they're down there, it's hand to mouth. Have you noticed? You know, it's the, the dust bunnies straight to the mouth. At our house, we don't have dust bunnies. We have what are known as dust buffaloes. They're a little bit bigger. Um, so children are prone to respiratory problems because they're little tiny nostrils and they're, they're, the breathing system, it's prone to blockage. They'll get obstructions, just boogers up in there, and they're having a hard time breathing. Um, they're prone to heat loss, especially through their heads. They struggle with verbal communication skills. They struggle with memory, struggle with communicating what hurts, what they need, what they want. Children have a poor sense of control. Now, appreciate that. Uh, and therefore, they're fear fearful. Um, so by the way, um, I see a, a lot of people each week, 25, 30, sometimes 35 or more, and many of the people that see me all, all identify that they struggle with anxiety, okay? Think about it for just a minute. If you had full control, what would that do with your anxiety? It'd absolutely drop it, right. Unless there's some genetic basis and now we're looking at a medication or something like that. But for the most part, when you have high levels of control, you have lower levels of fear, right? What can little kids control? Not much, really, when you think about it. And so we as adults bring this thing called control. And by the way, when they try to assert that, um, we normally uh, meet it with disapproval. <laughs> As they're trying to learn to, to, to kind of be a self-agent, we, we label it sometimes as selfishness. Children are impulsive. They certainly are selfish. And their systems in the brain, how they perceive the world around them, emotion, imagination, that are really immature, and they're prone to exaggerate. They're just prone. You know, they catch a little fish because Grandpa took them fishing, and they get a little bitty sun perch on their Snoopy fishing pole. And they're, and you know, oh, and it comes out of the water and they're, oh, and it's coming at them and now they don't know what to do with the fish and they're crying and screaming. And, and when they tell about the fishing experience, the fish is this big. And it might not be in terms of empirical measurement, but it was emotionally. It just felt big, Stephen. That doesn't change in your 40s. <laughs> no. Um, so the wives are going, He's describing my husband. This is, this, is all, this is all there. So, all right, let's dig into God's word. You ready? 
these are some, some uses of the term pedia or pedion child in the New Testament that are they're going to go into a bad category. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Is, ta- is Paul talking about spiritual maturity or physical maturity? Physical, certainly, absolutely, Tony, yep, certainly. And yet he's applying it to a church that implies spiritual maturity. So it's kind of both and, right? Uh, This is an interesting one. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that. 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours financially, but you... For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for the children. And I will mostly, uh, most gladly spend and be expended for you, for your souls. And if I love you more, am I to be loved less? It's interesting that Paul grabs an idea that comes out of Greek culture, Roman culture, that the obligation to be a provider falls on the parents, not the child. Right? And I'm, I'm just simply introducing an idea, and we're going to move on quickly. It is abusive. It's irresponsible to expect your child to parent you. Can we just tuck that one away? It's not right to expect your child to parent you. Now, in the latter years, the geriatric years, that changes. And there's lots of scriptures that, that talk about caring for the elderly. Um, but you need, you, need to, you need to get that. Um, what about Galatians 4.3? So we too, when we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. What's Paul talking about when we were children? What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about before you're a Christian. Yeah, 2.3 and Ephesians. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Children of wrath. You know, that's an interesting concept, that a child would be considered the object of wrath. Um, of course, we know he's not talking about children, so about adults. Ephesians 4, as a result, we are no longer to be children. This kind of immaturity is not acceptable for a Christian. Okay, can I say that again? This kind of immaturity is not acceptable for a Christian. We are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But we are to speak the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. That is Christ. All right, let's talk about some good stuff. The child and the good stuff. Ready? Matthew 18. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine his followers are ego tripping? Who's going to get the best seat, the positions of honor, the title, the status? And he calls a child to himself and he set him. So he gets a little boy 
and he sets the little boy among them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you adults change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You're not going to make it if you don't become like a child, right? And then he says something fascinating. He says, so whoever will humble himself like this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then check this out. Jesus links how you treat a child with how you're treating him. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or another translation to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. That's some intense stuff. Okay. Matthew 19, some children were brought to him so that he would lay his hands on them and, and pray. And the disciples rebuked them, crowd control. But Jesus said, leave the children alone and do not forbid them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So little Talon is here. who's absolutely a precious babe girl. Can you imagine if we're, if we're hearing Jesus the way he intends? Whatever it is about her. It's the stuff of heaven. She, it's like she's a native citizen. It's her homeland. Because there's something about her that Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Wow. Matthew 21. When the chief priests and scribes saw the, the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple area, but well, that's irritating when you're a Pharisee. Hosanna to the son of David. They became indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what the kids are saying? What the children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read from the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. Wow. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. There's something about the praise of a child, the uh, praising God from the heart of a child, the pure heart. Um, these ideas about the greatest and the least are repeated here, and I won't I won't go back on that. You you get that one. Look at um, look at verse seven or Luke seven. This is a, some heavy stuff. Jesus says to the crowd. So what then shall I compare this, the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to another and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a song of mourning and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say he has a demon? Now the Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a heavy drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. What in the world does that mean? Wisdom vindicated by her children. You want to know what it means? When God shows up, 
and lives are changed, it's proof that it's of God. When Jesus is healing broken bodies and they're restored, when those who are insane are now sane, those who are uh, crippled are now walking, the deaf now hearing, etc., it vindicates what Jesus is about. Wisdom is vindicated by the consequences of what she's about, her children. Luke 18, they were bringing their babies to him again. Again, it's repeated in Luke. It's a beautiful idea. Don't forbid children to come to Jesus. It's beautiful. Um, John 1, this is about us. And he came to his own, Jesus, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. To those who believe in his name. I want to stop just for a minute and, and tell everyone here. Um, uh, you know, I, I, as a former Catholic and Catholic culture, have this idea essentially that there's scales. If you could, let me simplify this with your scales in heaven, right? And if, and if Chris Perry does more good than bad, then I get to go in. But if I don't, and I do more bad than good, if I'm still a member of the Catholic Church, that means I'm going to go to purgatory for purging. I'm going to pay, pay for my, my sins. And then should that, once that's complete, I then would be up for possible entrance into God's kingdom. And so it's this works-based thing. Okay, this scripture blows that away. It's not about works. It's about receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a mystery that you're saying, would you please step out of heaven and step inside of me? It's a mystery. I, I can't explain it better than that. It's faith. Oh, Jesus said, if you don't have faith like a child, you're not getting in at all. There it is. There it is. It's jumping off the refrigerator, trusting Daddy will catch you. It's trusting that Mommy says, this is what I want you to do. It's, 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 it's going to help bring your fever down or whatever Mommy, uh, whatever care Mom provides or something. There's something in the heart of a vulnerable child who doesn't have enough experience to know what to do, who has to trust Mom and trust Dad that they know what to do and they just relax and they receive that trust and it's beautiful. Um, it's kind of like when the storm hits and the thunder and the house rattles and they start crying and dad goes in bed and kneels down beside besides the mighty Zay and rubs his little muscly five-year-old back and says, hey buddy, buddy, it's okay. It's just a storm, don't worry about it. You're fine. And Isaiah receives the words of comfort from his dad. And guess what? He goes to sleep. Why? Because dad said so. That's why. There it is. It's faith. And when we, by faith, accept Jesus, we say, Jesus, I, I want to give myself to you. I don't understand this thing. But I'm asking you to step inside of me. I want, I'm, I want to receive you. I want you on the inside, not the outside. And you trust him, just like you're trusting in that chair. Just like a child would trust mom and dad. The scriptures say that you're born again. In fact, the scripture says that whoever comes to Jesus and he will in no, in no way and no manner cast them out. 
And when you're born, you're born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but it's of God. It's something God accomplishes. So big text in scripture. This is John 8. It's all about Jesus going at it. They're throwing the verbal punches back and forth. And Jesus says, look, you guys are children of the devil. He calls it for what it is. Yeah, let's just go on here. John 13. Look, this is John. He's pretty old, by the way, when he's writing this. And John 13, look at what John says. Jesus is speaking. Little children, I'm still with you a little longer. You look for me, but you're not going to find me. Look at 21.5. Jesus sees them again. It says, children, do you have anything to eat? Romans 8. We've, we've been given a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of slavery, so that we can be sons and daughters. It's a gift. Children of God. 1 Corinthians 4. I write these things to admonish you as my beloved children. It's interesting that Paul uh, considered the church at Corinth his kids. <laughs> he was the spiritual dad. Um, he describes Timothy as my beloved and faithful child. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, 1420, extremely important. Please uh, lock this down in your minds. Paul makes it clear, brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. In other words, Zach, think critically. Think critically. But... Regarding evil, be completely stupid. Be like a newborn. The terms are really unique. Uh, Pateon, a child, right? And then the newborn. Be like a newborn. Be absolutely innocent regarding evil, but be brilliant and smart and discerning regarding your thinking and your faith. All right, let's, um, let's move on. So if we kind of group this up, this is what you're going to get. We group it up. All right. The column on the left speaks about people who are born again, adults who are born again, adults with childlike faith, or adults with immature faith. If you remember like the story of the storm on the ocean, or on the ocean, the storm on the, on the lake, and Jesus is asleep, and he wakes up, and he calms the storm, and he says to them, What's going on? Where's your faith? You know, why is your faith so small? So this is adults with an immature kind of faith. But then child language is is used for adults who are of the world, even of Satan, or adults rebelling against God. They're the children of wrath. All right, Christ Church, I'm, I'm asking you to stay focused on the teaching. Okay? We don't speak up because we didn't get picked for the kickball team in the third grade. I'm sorry, that's not what this is about. All right? This is about speaking as though God's speaking through you. It's about honoring God's word. It's always being polite and dignified, always. And we speak to build up one another and strengthen our faith. And we are careful to never offer the counsel of hypocrisy. I don't want a drunk advising me about self-control. Okay? Yeah. You are the gifted body of Christ. I'm going to let these scriptures sit with you right here. Walking through what we've done about children. And now there's some ugly things about children in the New Testament. 
But there's some bad things that we've got to be careful about. We can't be like little children in our brains and believe anything. Um, do you realize that if you have a steady diet of Facebook and say you have Instagram and all these outlets, do you realize the garbage that you're processing, processing in your brains? And you're going to believe no matter what, CNN, ABC, ABC to EFG, whatever they say, you're just going to soak it up. You're not thinking. You're, an emotion got tweaked, and that's enough for you. But you think it's truth because you got an emotional twinge. No. You're the gifted body of Christ. How could you encourage us, me included, to move away from immature, childlike things, putting childness away, putting away childish things, and to become a man, to become an adult, to become a woman, and yet maintain a child's heart, the pure faith. How do we do it? You're the church. What would you say? Denise. Um, when I really became serious about my walk with Jesus, um, I did put away a lot of different programming on television. I put away listening to different types of radio stations and um, spent a lot more time in the Word. And I'll tell you, this world we are swimming in right now is just full of evil. And if we allow that into our brains and in our eyes and ears, it will affect us. It's just like you protect your child from not maybe giving them your phone or not yeah. letting them watch violent TV shows. I think that God wants us to protect our minds like that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Janice. Thank you. Someone else? Why does this matter? How do we live it out? Stephen, let me know if there's somebody online. Facebook. In some ways, I, I think when we talk about grace and truth and balancing that, mm-hmm. I think of an adult and a child that mm-hmm. we have to be able to think as children do to receive grace. Yes, thank you, Patch. Um, uh, you used a very important word, discernment. Define discernment. What is discernment? <coughs> it's a judgment. It's a form of judgment. You choose, you decide, what is this? Or you decide, what is that? You make a judgment call, certainly. Anybody else on what is discernment? Someone who's discerning? It's the, the ability to judge well. Mm-hmm. Think critically and make a good decision. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay. Um, let's do this. If if there's an adult in the room who battles an immature faith, all right, what would you say to them? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Absolutely. Why? Why would that be important? Well, um, when I worked at Baptist, I had a girlfriend who claimed to be a Christian. <clears throat> Tom Hanks did that movie. 
Of the Da Vinci Code? Yeah, Da Vinci Code. She was questioning whether that's true or not. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, she read her Bible. Even yeah. then, she'd know that was a lie. Yeah, exactly. So the only way you can really truly be discerning is to know what the verse says yourself. That's really, really good. Linda, thank you. Um, Sloan, you were going to say? Sloan counterfeit money situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People that handle the real thing, the bankers, they know the real thing. They can touch it. They smell it. They know the touch. Yeah. Same with the Word of God. When we are in the Word of God, we recognize the counterfeit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stephen? Stephen. They encounter someone with immature faith, pray and ask God if they've been placed in your life for you to become the, the adult. Uh, Discipleship. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Tony? It's about what Stephen said. Uh, because um, you, you said learn on me. And I think the, uh, the good way to do it is to come to Bible study. As he said, understanding. Yes. I mean, I can read my Bible. I may not have understanding of it. I can do different things, but may not have understanding. But I believe you come to Bible study. Yeah. Like what we're doing now. Open discussion. Yes. We can, and listen to you and Pastor Steve. We can learn. Yeah. That's so good, Tony. In the abundance of counsel, there's safety. That is really good. Uh, Michael. I was going to uh, actually say almost the exact same thing that Stephen was going to say. I was going to take it one step further because you actually asked a pretty pointed question. If there was an adult with immature faith in this room. And so I sat and thought about just what would you tell them to do? Ah, that's good. Do it together. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. By the way, this is, you know, all the pronouns are plural, right? So we're supposed to do this together. Yeah, our faith is not meant to be a solo kind of faith. Let me, let me show you something. Um, everybody turn or click to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. And we're going to... Remember all those big, heavy-duty words I showed you earlier? We're going to kind of use those. When Jesus had finished these words, he left Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? For any reason at all. And this is what Jesus says. He answered and said, Have you not read, Linda, returning to scripture, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay. Now, do you understand, based on this, there's no such thing as 72 genders. Do you understand that? It doesn't exist. But you have to believe the Bible. Exactly. And, and right, now those big fancy, fancy words are going to come in real handy. 
Now, by the way, in the world of psychology and what I do for, for, for the way I, I care for the world around me, you, would, you might not be surprised who comes to see me. What I'm trying to tell you is that I will love and care for anybody, but, 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 we can never compromise truth. Never. Okay? And what I'm trying to say is that if you take a little, a little child and you tell them that they have choice about these things, by the way, any psychologist worth their weight and salt knows that a child around ages three, four, and five begins to question some things about themselves and their body. It's very normal, actually, very normal, okay? But a dysfunctional adult will hear that data and turn that in, into an opportunity to destroy that child, okay? And that is an example of being radically dismissive of truth. Now, I realize that if you, if you don't believe this is the word of God, then, then quite frankly, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> I get that. I get that dynamic. And not everybody fits at Christchurch. I get that too. Um, but I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that this is the living, breathing word of God. And when Jesus said uh, God made them male and female, he wasn't bumbling and fumbling along looking at trying to grab a word or two. He was very intentional in what he said. All right. He meant that. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. So that being the case, Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 13 is important. There comes a time when we've got to put away childish thinking. You've got to stop speaking as a child, thinking as a child, reasoning as a child, putting that stuff away. And for males, act like a man. I mean, act like a man. Ladies, act like women. Women of God. It's a brilliant thing. Okay. The Lord, the Lord put this on my heart for some time now, and I'm glad I get to share the truth with you. Um, can, I, can I say thank you that we're, we're in this together and we're kids growing, you know, being wise, and yet innocent. Jesus said, I want you to be innocent as a dove, wise as a serpent. Paul said, I want you to be smart and mature in your thinking, but regarding evil, I want you to, to be completely innocent. Same thing, different language. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Okay. I could go on, but the hour's late. So I want to pray over you and ask God's favor over you. Father, thank you. For the love and grace that you give, thank you that nothing separates us from your love and that you're a good father and we can behold your face and you love us and we can come to the throne with confidence, boldly, knowing that you will not shun us and turn us away. Lord, thank you so much for these things. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.